the hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And he said to me, Prophesy to these bones. Say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy, mortal. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are cut off completely. But you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves. This is the word of the Lord. Ezekiel saw the whole thing, 587, those dreaded Babylonians came, they encircled the city, they laid siege to it, and finally when the people were running out of food and water, the Babylonians breached the walls, they went to the palace, they took the king, brought all of his children in in front of him, and kill them all so that he could see there are no heirs. And then they gouged out his eyes where he could see nothing. They took everything, gold, silver, and bronze, out of the palace and then set fire to it. They then went storming up to the Temple Mount, this magnificent temple that Solomon had built 400 years before. And they stripped it of all of its gold, silver, bronze, and set fire to it. They set fire to all the gates of the city so that it was absolutely defenseless and pushed over as many stones from its walls as they could before they rounded up the best and the brightest and force-marched them all the way to Babylonia. I got out my atlas this week with my compass and measured how far, as the crow flies, from Jerusalem to ancient Babylonia, 600 miles. And then I got out a, a road map of the United States, and with my compass, I measured 600 miles from Tulsa. It falls almost exactly through Denver, Colorado, almost exactly through Chicago, Illinois. If you were force-marched all the way from Tulsa to Denver, all the way from Tulsa to Chicago, with the oldest and the youngest and the weakest dying along the way, and now here he is in Babylon. Here he is. He wonders, will we be here 400 years as we were in Egypt? Or will our people acquiesce and give in and become Babylonians as our ten northern tribes gave in and became Assyrians? And he has a vision. The Lord takes him to one of those valleys where he had seen so many of his own people fall along the way. The varmints have come, every bit of flesh stripped from the bones, and now the sun has bleached those bones white. Just bones and bones, a valley filled with them. But I don't want to talk about what happened, first of all. I want to skip down to verse 11, where God tells you the reason for this vision. He says, 
This is for the whole house of Israel, Ezekiel. Their bones are dried up. Now, if you want to know what that means, you need to go to their book of Proverbs, where you have all these sayings. Don't be like the sluggard. Be like the little ant. Busy, 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 because winter's coming. Well, one of them says, a cheerful heart is good medicine, and a sad heart dries up the bones. When my father died, my brother, sister, and I were concerned about our mother, of course. They'd been married almost 60 years. How would she fare without dad? There was no question she intended to stay in their house. My sister and her husband had retired, built a home about a mile away. My brother and his wife live about three miles from the family home. She definitely wanted to stay in her own home. They only got three channels on the television there. The three major networks came out of Shreveport, Louisiana. So my sister and brother decided maybe she needs more television options now that she won't have dad to talk to. So they hooked her up with DirecTV and taught her how to use it. She was grieving when her six grandsons, we have two, of course. My sister has two sons, my brother two. They were pallbearers at the service as they got in their cars and started to drive away. Mom grieved about not getting to see them as often as she would like. And I said, Mom, these guys are not going to go to a post office and buy a stamp and write you a letter, but they're all on computers every day. If you'd learn how to email and you'd send them a little note, they'd respond, I bet. Couldn't do that, she said. I, I couldn't. At Christmas, I mentioned it again. I, I couldn't, she said. But I heard that in January she'd enrolled at the local junior college to learn how to send emails. And when she learned, she called my Aggie brother-in-law said, I need you to take me shopping. And they bought her a computer. And she learned to do it very well. And she loved DirecTV because she could see old reruns from everything from I Love Lucy to MASH. It went pretty well for five or six years. And then my brother and sister got very concerned that every time they would go over to check on mom, she was watching one particular news channel, one that runs 24 hours a day, and it shows the same catastrophe over and over and over. If it's a plane crash, if it's an earthquake, if it's a tsunami, over and over and mom grieved and grieved and went farther and farther into her dementia and her bones dried up. God said the second big problem, Ezekiel, they've lost hope. They don't have any hope. I can't hear the word hope without remembering Dr. John Claypool. Others of you who heard him, I think, would feel the same. In 1999, he came to give our Barton Clinton Gordy series. He, that's been 14 years now. I'd heard him before, so I knew a part of his personal story. John Claypool was pastoring one of the biggest Baptist churches in the state of Kentucky. He and his wife had a daughter. When she was nine years old, she was diagnosed with a very aggressive leukemia. This has been years ago. They didn't have nearly as many ways to treat that illness as we do today. And an oncologist told the mom and dad, you can take her anywhere in America. You can have thousands of people praying for her. She will live 18 to 20 months average. They took her to two of the finest cancer treatment centers in America. 
They had thousands of their own members and others across Kentucky praying for her, and on a cold, snowy night, she died 19 months later. Dr. Clay Poole, after having a doctor confirm that, in fact, she had died there in their home, called the funeral director. The funeral coach backed up to the, to the front door as close as it could get, and Dr. Claypool carried this child out in his arms in the snow. Turned to walk back to the house, his wife was standing in the door, and before he got to her, she turned and walked. He followed her. She went in the bedroom, slammed the door, and locked it from the inside. The next Sunday, he went to preach to his people. And when the service was over, she stood on one side of the front porch and he on the other, shaking hands, and she was telling people, I don't know why you come to hear John preach. God does not have time for you. He does not hear your prayers. He will not heal your child. And every Sunday she stood on the porch and said, I don't know why you come to church. God is not here for you. He will not listen to your prayers. He will not heal your child. Dr. Claypool begged his wife to go to counseling. She refused. One day he got home from work. There were papers on the table saying, please sign and I'll get out of your life. He didn't know what to do. He signed. She went back home to her mother and father, moved into the bedroom she had lived in when she was a teenage girl. The Baptist kicked Dr. Claypool out. He was now a divorced man, and the Episcopalians threw wide the door for him to come and be an Episcopal priest, and that's what he was when he preached for us. His series was this. You've always heard it said, where there's life, there's hope. That's not right, he said. Where there's hope, there's life. And if there is no hope, then there's only death. If there is no hope, there is only death. Number three, God said to Ezekiel, they feel cut off. My people feel cut off. This is a very significant verb in Hebrew. It's used in the book of 2 Kings for the felling of the great cedars in Lebanon, a tree that's been cut off now from its source it goes crashing down to the earth. It's also used in Leviticus to describe a proper butchering of animals at sacrifice time, how you go right down through a joint to separate one from the other. My people feel cut off, separated. Dr. Tony Campolo has written about his mother and father, immigrants from Sicily how they did not know each other on the island but met each other in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania after both had come to America, their families sending these two young people to find a new life in this great country. Tony Campolo was their firstborn and a son. He had younger sisters later. He said that long years later after his mother and father had died, he was having a reunion with his sisters. And the sisters were giggling and saying, you knew you were special. You were the firstborn. You were a son. You were a mama's boy. He said, I wasn't. Yes, you were. And then one of the sisters said, Mom paid Harriet, a little girl that lived next door who was four years older, paid her a nickel every day to walk you to school and back. Be sure you were safe. 
A nickel would buy a Coca-Cola. A nickel would buy a candy bar. She paid Harriet a nickel a day in the Great Depression just to get you to school and back. He said, well, it wasn't long till I said, I can do it myself. And I told her I didn't need Harriet anymore. And Mom told Harriet I didn't need her anymore. And one of the sisters looked the other and said, can you believe this? Tony, when you walked out the front door that first day without Harriet, Mom went out the back door. And she followed you all the way to school. She would hide behind one tree and behind one car and behind another tree. And she was close by when you got out of school. And she would hide behind one tree and behind a car. When you rang the doorbell at the front of the house, did you ever notice it took her a few minutes to get in the back door and come all the way around to let you in? Mama was watching you all the time. All the time. When you feel cut off, he was always watching over you. Always. So it brings us to number four. Now we can look at what happened there. I was taught when you read a passage of Scripture, look for strong nouns and verbs in places where an author repeats himself. Well, guess what? There are three words here that are used over and over and over. The word Yahweh is used in the text. It's the shortened form, you remember, of Eye, Asher, Eye, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Ten times in these few verses, Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. There's no question that you see it's not the God of the Babylonians. It's not Marduk. It's Israel's God who's come to Ezekiel in his greatest distress. Second is the word Ruach. I've told you it can mean wind, breath, or spirit, depending on context. It's used ten times. Ten times the word for God, ten times the word for wind, breath, spirit. The third one is the little Hebrew word that we would write in English, H-I-N-N-E-H, hineh. And it's the same as the Greek word, hidu. Remember last year when we were preaching through the Gospel of Luke, how many times Luke loved this word? Translated, behold, behold. I told you it means almost, and would you believe? Well, the Hebrew word's the same. The translators decided, ah, modern-day Americans, they don't get all that, so they, they quit putting it in. It's just, they just left it out. In my old King James Bible, it's right there. I saw this valley filled with bones. And behold, a bone joined to a proper bone. And behold, sinews connected bone. And behold, skin covered the whole thing but there was no ruach in them. And the Lord said, Preach more, preach more, Ezekiel. And behold, I preached, and behold, the ruach entered them, and they lived. They lived. That's what this passage is all about, you see. I was reading a story recently about the Lorraine Motel Museum in Memphis, Tennessee. I haven't seen that. The site where Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated has been preserved. But not just to recall the horror of that night, but to show how the dream did not die that night. At the museum, they show you that when 
the assassin's bullet hit him and he collapsed. Dr. Ralph Abernathy, Andrew Young, scooped his body into their arms. And the younger Andrew Young was screaming, it's over, it's over, it's all over. And Dr. Abernathy said, it is not over. It is not over. Did you watch the first installment of the Bible, the first Sunday night in March? Moses is tending sheep and goats on the Sinai Desert, and the wind starts to blow. Huh? The Ruach blows harder and harder. He's pounding the stakes of his tent to try to keep it from blowing away. He finally gets inside the whole tent shaking and suddenly a light just outside the tent. He pulls back the flap and here's this marvelous sparkling bush and instead of his having to ask the name in the movie it says, I am Moses. Go get my people out of Egypt. And when he gets there, he's reunited with his brother Aaron, with his sister Miriam. He tells them, God has sent me here to get his people. And they say, Pharaoh will never let us go. And Moses says, oh, yes, he will. Oh, yes, he will. And plague after plague, Aaron and Miriam are there to say, he's not going to let us go. He will never let us go. And Moses says, oh, yes, he will. God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, my people's bones are dried. They've lost their hope. They're completely cut off. But they will know I am the Lord when I open their graves. Amen.